Welcome back to Following Noah on a Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 120, and we are finishing part three of Rhythm of War. We have one science ep- or chapter to talk about, and then we close the part with a rather fast-paced action sequence. Paul, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm excited for our 12th episode. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to stop. I'm spoiler it now. I'm not going to stop until just, the 13th because I have 130 episodes because I have no idea how to say that. Whenever I ask you how you are from now on, I'll just mute for like <laughs> 10 seconds and then I'll go back and go on to Elliot. <laughs> until I'm past that part. Exactly. Yeah. Sounds good. Elliot, how are you? I'm quite good. I'm quite well. I think we've reached the point in a Sanderson book where... I look back and I realize just how much ground we've covered because it's quite a lot at this point. And it's one of those things that it's it's gone quickly and it's gone slowly at the same time. Like we've covered a lot of ground and it's taken us a while to get there. But at the same time, it's like, wow, we're 800 pages into this story already. That's that's kind of crazy. Yeah, I, I agree. Do you guys have two words for episode 120? Uh, Elliot. I do have two words. You're going to have to uh, pardon my French. They are storming harmony. Swearing on the podcast. I know. Dangerous. Oh, no. We're going to get that a little explicit, you know, marker that they put on. And demonetized even before we have a thousand subscribers. Paul? My two words are much more family friendly. I have an octave and speech. All right. Let's use these four words and finish part three of Rhythm of War. All right, who wants to go first? Me, because I have a name on our cup this week that I am excited to share. And so I'm going to steal the spotlight here, or really hand off the spotlight to um, Conduit23. Thank you so much, Conduit23. Um, I didn't write the full name. I believe it was Matt Conduit 23 was the username I saw. Uh, but I abbreviated that to Conduit23. So thank you so much for your support as a surgeon, saving lives. Um, and so very, very grateful. And so, uh, cheers. Thank you. On a very classy uh, wine glass, no less. Look at that. Yes, exactly. Filled with water. And yes, I broke out the fine the fine china for Conduit 23. We're very thankful for your support. Um, I will go ahead and go into my words, though, and explain that as well. Um, I think the one that, that is most like integral to the story, or coolest thing, was speech and... We've seen a lot of examples of healing throughout Stormlight, and we see, I believe in Chapter 70, where someone, no spoilers yet, uh, starts to speak some words, and they haven't really spoken before. So it's neat to see some interesting healing um, there, and I'm excited to talk about that with y'all. Spoiler alert, it's Dabbit. Um, And... If you haven't read, if you don't know, then you obviously didn't read. So, um, my other word is octave. And octave, I 
something we've never really gotten into on the podcast, but I've spent a, a good amount of time learning several instruments and, and growing up kind of learning music theory and stuff like that. So I was excited or, or went down a huge rabbit trail in our first chapter this week, which we'll talk about more later um, about some kind of like music theory, some things that we see in here, or I guess don't really hear, but we see described about sound on Roshar. And I was curious to talk about it with y'all. So Sounds good. Elliot. I'll, I'll start with my second one. My second one was harmony for exactly the same thing that Paul, you're talking about with, with your word there on the, the music theory part of this. And I am, I'm super excited that you have some knowledge on this because I too kind of went to the, to the grindstone to try and do some research here. And I got way over my head really fast. So I hope you're going to be able to help me understand a few things that that I was not able to discover because this does seem to, to at least kind of dive a little bit into music theory, like literally the bones of how music works, not just like music as a whole. It's, it's like the, 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 the inner workings of music itself. So anyway, super cool there. And then storming, which I know a little bit provocative there with my, my word choice, but uh, I, I had to pick that just because Dalinar comes storming in at the the end of this these chapters here, and the the scene we get where where Dalinar saves Kaladin, like you don't even appreciate it on the first read. Actually, when you come back and you realize like exactly what just happened, it's like mind blowing. Yeah, but it happens so fast, and it's so just kind of simply explained in the the narrative that it's like, oh yeah, and then Dalinar sweeps him up on the the platform, moving on. It's like whoa anyway hold on <laughs> i, I want to get into it too much now but i i was mind blown there so i i went with a rather strong word choice sounds good all right we can dive right back into that music stuff because that is chapter 69 as it, especially the first half of 69 so let's talk music note scales and and tones all, all that fun stuff. So Navani is playing with light and or her, her investiture that she has in front of her. Um, she has stormlight, she has void light, and then she gets supplied a life light sphere um, from Raboniel a couple chapters back. Um, but she's uh, trying to combine them and see how that is going to work. And she's unsuccessful. But she, the way she's approaching this is fairly in, intriguing with music theory, and I'll I'll leave it there if someone wants to pick up the baton. I'll I'll start it perhaps and explain to you where I got lost, and then Paul, maybe we'll see what what you know or we're able to to figure out. I got super intrigued by this, and it's only like two paragraphs in the book, but it, it gets really technical really fast. Navani is doing research here on the the different musical tones that she's using remember they use the like tuning forks to to play a specific tone to then kind of suck out the 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 investiture itself from the gemstones and then you can kind of carry it with you over to another gem uh, a cool part i don't even remember if it was in this chapter or a previous one raboniel can do this with her voice which she is can. pretty cool and it, it navani 
Okay, yeah, yeah. And Navani can't do that. And she thinks it might just be because she's not as good of a, th- of a singer, pun intended, <laughs> I guess, as, as Raboniel. <laughs> Raboniel can, you know, attune to the exact tone of Roshar that she needs to, to sing and she can do it with her voice, which that was super cool. But Navani's doing the research and she she figures out or she kind of explains that in this fictional world, the Alethi musical system works on a 10 note scale. So there's 10 notes in their scale, right? I, I noticed that too, that that symmetrical 10, if you will, that they love everywhere. She notes that the Thalens use a 12 note scale. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then she starts to dive into there's an ancient scale, which is just three notes. And that's where she starts to get into those are like the three ancient pure tones of Roshar that associate with our three different lights that we have. And I started doing some research on this because I like, oh, 10 notes, 12 notes. Well, like the basic third grade level knowledge I have of piano like how many how many notes do I know well my my little bit of research and and talking with my ex-music major wife told me that our system of music has 12 notes in it in yep. our scale that we have which I was actually expecting it to be have eight notes because I knew of an octave if you're going to go up mm-hmm. an octave so I thought it was going to be eight notes but then I was I was quickly informed that no there, there's 12 once you count all the the half steps that are that are in there I have a little bit of a theory on why Navani's two notes that she tries to play don't work with combining the two uh, lights. So she plays the 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 tone for the void light and then and the tone for the storm light, and then she tries to get them combined. I think she's missing something, and that plays into this music theory. But that's as far as I got with my my music theory research, and it got very confusing really fast with a lot of italian words that i did not understand so i am gonna stop there and see if paul if you know any more than than that yeah well okay so the big things that you noticed were what i noticed but i noticed it in the wrong way and i went back and did some research and was like hold on okay i was i was wrong because i was like okay a 10 or a 12 note scale and at first I was like, is that like fathomable in the world that we know? Because I was thinking of the octave. I was thinking of an eight note scale, but you're right. I looked and it, it says that the, like, I guess the Western or like common scale is like, there are 12 notes. Once you count the, the sharp notes, the, the half step notes and everything. Um, so I was like, okay, okay, okay. This isn't some like weird mythical thing that I can't put wrap my mind around. This is right. normal. 12 is normal. Um, but these other ones are weird. They're, they're a bit odd. And so whenever you, there, there's a whole, uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I don't know super well with like harmonics diminished, all this stuff of like combining notes at various intervals provide, you've probably heard of like major and minor keys, you know, that like major keys go up a half step so it sounds happier, and minor does the opposite. Um, but this here, I I was just really curious about this like ten note scale and twelve note scale because in my head, I don't know how you like have different scales. It's it's like numbers. I thought about this in like we write numbers in base ten. If you've done like a lot of math stuff, there's like 
I think a lot of coding is done like base 16. Is that right? Where whenever you count up one to nine, whenever you write 10, you go over a space and you write one zero. And that's there's one ten and zero ones, right? Uh, and then you have the hundreds place, thousands place, etc. If you that you can write numbers in a different base, where if you're writing in base eight, you go up to seven, and then once you're at eight, you have a one and a zero, which is there's one eight and zero ones, etc. And so you could do this with any number realistically, but I thought about it in like I can't um, fully imagine like what a musical progression would sound like without the notes that I know on earth, right? right. The, the normal progression of notes that are on earth. And there's kind of a reason we have half steps. There is actually on earth, like I think a 16 note scale that is common. And I believe I could be wrong. I believe in India. If you think of the, what's this called? The sitar, I believe it is. It has like 16th or eighth note measurements, not like a half step. It may be quarter. It may be quarter. I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. But it's different, and it, like there are different intervals in which you can play, which in my mind, it would just sound out of tune, because if you're off a bit from one of those notes, it just sounds sour. It doesn't sound right. Um, so I, I, I just thought about this a lot. I wrote a super long thing that was going to go in the live reactions channel. I was like, this is too long. I have to talk about it on on the podcast and also it needed to double check and make sure i was right uh, or not just completely wrong on things but my initial thought was a 12 note scale can't exist on earth and then i realized we do have that i don't know what to think about three or ten i'm kind of just not worrying about it too much but one other thing i wanted to mention on a different note haha uh, of this scenario is actually like music with physics um in this tuning fork i don't so so elliot kind of mentioned this i didn't remember exactly what tuning forks were for i knew it was something that um that people used and it sounds like they use it to like draw out stormlight was that right uh, essentially yep um and it made me think of natural frequencies which is something i was surprised i kind of remembered from like high school physics, this is the last time we've looked at physics, which was years ago now. Um, and how I pulled up a definition because, um, well, kind of part of a definition because I didn't remember for sure. And in summary, it says some objects tend to vibrate at a sync. Oh, sorry. All objects have a natural frequency or set of frequencies at which they like tend to vibrate and produce a pure tone or it's kind of, complicated but basically if if you play if there's a specific note of sound played like a tone sound a particular object would like vibrate because of it or be like i guess energized because of it yeah a lot of physics stuff there that i don't fully understand but natural frequencies is a thing and so i thought maybe we're seeing kind of implementation of like natural frequencies on roshar and like these specific tones are kind of matching the natural frequencies of I would guess different individual spheres and pulling stormlight out to, to kind of like energize them, I guess. Um, but basically that was the comparison I drew and that maybe natural frequencies will become a larger scale thing because of, we know that there are these pure tones of Roshar, which we've heard mentioned too. And so 
no idea. Maybe if you place match this tone of Roshar, maybe it's gonna erupt. I don't know earthquakes. No telling. I, I have no idea. Shatter some but, planes. Ooh. Oh, oh, that's the one. That's the one. Um, yeah, I, I don't know where this could go, and also I don't know how important it is to go down this rabbit trail because. It felt deep to me to become applicable. Um, but I ran with this for a ways. I was like, what is going on here? Because I think music theory, stuff like that, is really fascinating and cool. Um, so Can yeah, that, that's that's the end of my spiel here on it. So You just said it felt, felt deep to me to be applicable. Does that mean like you felt too far down the rabbit hole to be like applicable here? Is that what you meant? Kind of, sort of. Like, I don't know if someone reading this is supposed to think, oh, yes, like maybe the natural frequencies in our Earth's physics are going to come into an application here to cause some big event or actually lead to something monumental, or maybe it's just like a little hint or a nod of like, oh, this is neat. Like we can see that there are natural frequencies on Roshar or this like little piece of music theory that's like, ooh, that's interesting. Like how would that work? Like how would that sound? We can kind of theorize about it. My understanding was that it's something like neat to theorize about it, like what we're doing now, like talk about it. But I don't see this being becoming a major point of like, oh, we need to find a way to project the natural tone of Roshar to. I don't know, beat Odium, I, you know, like I, di I didn't imagine it becoming a major actual point that's going to affect our story. But just kind of like an interesting nod. You'd mentioned that Brandon Sanderson does a lot of research with stuff. You mentioned a lot of like, was it pilots and stuff with like G Force? A lot of research on like, can someone actually do this, or am I just writing craziness? You know, and trying to make things a little more pseudo like realistic. I mean, this is a fantasy story, but like more like tangibly realistic. Um, and I could just see this being a thing where he like incorporated just a little bit of like music theory knowledge or. or or things like that into his story. Okay, Paul, to that to to your point of Brandon Sanderson does a lot of research. You are absolutely not too far down the rabbit hole to figure to feel like you are on the wrong track. That is 100% Brandon Sanderson's staple. He will he will like delve into research on some random thing for weeks it, days weeks whatever and then he'll change one aspect of it like okay but what if that worked with this and then that's how he creates a magic system so we have just received pretty much the blueprints of how he came up with stormlight and investiture and how it works on roshar specifically so Going back to your note scale thing, the three the three note scale that Navani discovers here, mathematically that's not too far fetched, I think. I think the ten the ten note Alethi scale is actually harder to figure out, but three notes is I mean 12 is divisible divisible by 3. So you could you could argue that 12 is pretty easy actually to 
or sorry, three is pretty easy to comprehend on our twelve on our twelve note bass that we have. You just you know divide it by four, and that's each of your each of your tones. I don't know if that's exactly what he's going for here, but that's how I interpret it. Um, if you guys interpreted it differently, go ahead. But so what I had to question myself about was, and this is probably a music the- theory thing that makes sense, and I just don't know it, but like. So whatever you think of a scale, right? Um, like we have a, an octave, whatever you go up one octave on a piano, on any instrument, whenever you go up one octave, the marking point of that is the frequency that that note makes is like effectively twice as fat, like twice as short. After doubles, or right? Ha- yes, yes. It is the, the frequency that that note makes of sound waves is halved or doubled whether you're going up or down. Right. So... My thought is, if you have like effectively a three-note octave, octave, if you will, octave is eight. So if you have a three-note, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, Tri- Tri- triplets, whatever you want to call it, um, are, are is it still like halved at that point? And so does that mean it's like your notes are really spaced out, or do pitches go up really like abnormally fast? Like, are you still going up three half steps on a piano, per se, and the frequency is halved? Because I feel like that can't exist in the same world, right? So it's just like, I guess, a different style of writing music rather than what I would think of as a... I guess a scale is a writing style. I'm honestly working through this as I'm saying it, because I'm not sure. And so my thought was, like, is that possible to, like, write something or have sound that doubles its frequency going up three half steps or 10 half steps instead of 12. Like how does that work? That that's where I was like, is this actually fathomable? I stopped for a second to think about that. And then I think it's just like, it's different. They probably just skip a bunch of notes. They just, if it's a three note scale, they're just using what, like a D and G or something like that, you know, something like that. And et cetera. Um, so it's more like limited, I guess. Anyways, I think that ends my music theory talk. That's been it's been for a while, but I, it is cool that I get to jump down this rabbit hole. Um, and you're like, yeah, you know, this is Brandon Sanderson. You can do that. You can hop down any hole that you can find. You know, exactly. I think your your natural frequency idea is brilliant. And I cannot believe I did not think of that as I was was going about this because you are you are absolutely right. That is a great way to think about this as these these tones, these three tones could be explained as the natural frequency of the three lights that we have. And they they respond, they react to that specific frequency because that's part of like their structure, if you will. So that's, ooh, that that's my head cannon for sure. That's probably the real cannon, actually. Ooh, other thing, which this is going very large scale, Paso Shard. Are there sixteen shards of Adenalsium? There are. Like I said, the Indian scale that I mentioned, like with the sitar, has sixteen notes. So maybe, maybe he was taking a, uh, maybe each of them have their own tone, and he was pulling from another another music system that we have that's just really uncommon on 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 earth you know but that that's that's we don't have to 
take that further. But that made me think about it. If like each of these three on Roshar has a tone, why don't the other ones have a tone? You know. So here's my theory for you, Paul. You have to tell me what you think of this. So Navani, she figures out the, these three pure tones, and she uses the one associated with void light to pull void light out of a out of a gem. Then she uses the one associated with stormlight to pull stormlight out of the gem. And she's trying to like cross the beams of light. She's trying to get them to to mix, and they don't. They just kind of oil and water. They they stay apart from each other, and they they don't mix at all. In my short research on music theory, I learned, or I read at least, that in order to make a chord, you need at least three notes. And two notes does not make a chord, three does. And so the the word that I picked for this episode was harmony, because the definition of harmony is multiple notes played at the, the same time to produce things like chords. And so I wonder, I wonder if what Navani is missing is the full chord. She has the two num- she has the two notes that will pull the light out, but she needs a third one to complete her chord to get them to mix. And so it's just a matter of of what is that note? What is that other note? And I don't think it's the third tone. I don't right. think it's the third one associated with lifelight. There's another note out there somewhere that would make a type of chord that would allow the light to mesh together. She just has to find it. That's my my theory. In the, the, what you were saying about this, thinking of this oil and water thing with an emulsifier, right? Mm-hmm. Taking that and applying it to our conversation right now, I have no idea what an emulsifier for sound waves essentially would be. I don't. I don't. I was trying to think about it while you were mentioning that. I ha- I don't have an idea right now. If I, I I'm gonna think about that though, and if I can come up with something, I'll definitely like throw it out there. But I don't I don't know what that could be. I see what you mean about it being like a different tone to like get them together kind of thing, but I don't know. In my head that still doesn't quite make sense. So yeah. I I'm I'm not completely there either. I'm I'm not sure quite how that would work, but for somehow if the emulsifier was just a third note that is I, like the correct one, it has to be the right one to complete the chord. Yeah, on that, I just thought of... In my head, I was like, okay, so you play a note, a tone, to pull out Stormlight. You pull out a tone to pull out void light, a different tone. And you're like, okay, what do I do with it now? I want to get it to connect. I can't get it to connect. Um, and yeah, I guess it would make sense for it to be some kind of like chord. We're playing like the three notes at once. Yes. Like pull kind of draws it together or or like I had thought of like maybe there's a tone for like gemstones or gems that you can play where they like it makes them pull in light. So maybe you could do that and it will just like s- absorb or suck in the light. I d- I don't know. That that's a big one that if anyone watching or listening has any ideas, throw those out there. I'd be really curious to to hear. Anyone who's really knowledgeable on or really not knowledgeable about music theory or music and tones and all the stuff, sound waves, I'd be super curious because I think this is really fascinating. 
My only other theory before we leave this topic is perhaps our emulsifier is Dalinar with his connection ability. Maybe, maybe she's doing it right. She's just missing the bondsmith piece of it. Yeah. Maybe she just needs a bondsmith to do what she's doing and apply some of that connection ability that they have that we don't quite understand yet. Maybe that's the missing piece. I don't know. I actually like that because in the same chapter, she's asking the the sibling about like, what would you guys, what would you do before? And the sibling's like, well, I just made the light and my bondsmith could make the light, but I don't know. I don't know how is basically what the sibling says. She then, Navani, after the, the little light um, detour here, she's talking to the sibling and she proposes what I proposed on earlier on in the in the podcast, which I don't know if this is just like a re- recessed memory or something, but I genuinely did not remember this in the book. But Navani says, well, what about Relaine? You could, you could bond Relaine. What do you think about that? And this is you know, minutes before the sibling is attacked again. And we never hear from the sibling for the rest of the episode. So the sibling does give Relaine a second thought. What do you guys, what do you guys think of the potential there? The sibling did not say no. I noticed that, that Navani asked and the sibling's like, yeah, I hadn't really considered that. So yeah, maybe that maybe there's some legs to that that theory. I'm trying to think, there was another time on the podcast where I really, I, I was genuinely theorizing on something, and then I didn't mention it because I'm like, wait a minute, does that actually happen or not? I don't remember. I'm trying to think, there there was another time where I I did that. I'll think about that for a second. Yeah, I think it'd be super cool if Relaine does become a Bondsmith. He, I don't know, he's always been a pretty pretty cool character. Elliot, a couple episodes ago, you theorized that Renarin had his eyes on Relaine for a different type of Bond. Yeah, the, the thought was Renarin wants more people to bond corrupted, in air quotes, right. Spren. And he he kind of ended a chapter with like, I know exactly who needs to do this. And my theory was that he was thinking of Relaine just because Relaine's been, we know Relaine's been trying to bond a Spren, has been unsuccessful is a little bit of an outcast kind of looks at things differently. He, he seemed to fit perfectly the category of be a radiant, but do it differently. Right. But I also think he could potentially fit this child of honor and cultivation role of bonding with the sibling and the tower. So definitely some potential there. I like either of those paths actually for Rulane. Yeah, I agree. 
at the end of the at the end of this chapter did you guys get it as you were reading at the end of this chapter or was did you have to wait until 72 where they fully spell out that Rabonia was listening in did did you when i was listening to this um for the for this time through and the sibling says oh they found the note that i was literally just talking about i i, I was thinking to myself really that's that's weird why would they why would they find that and i was like oh i remember now it it took me a second but did you guys put that together right when navani did or did did you have to wait till aftermath i i didn't actually get it initially i i i honestly reading this book and probably books before, I feel like I've been out of touch a little bit with our not major characters. And whenever it's not something that is directly happening to one of our major, like, like it's something going on in the background, it may be because I'm listening to the audiobook and oftentimes I'm driving and I retain a lot of what's going on. But like a lot of the maybe highlights, unless I go back and listen to it multiple times. So I didn't pick up on this. I don't know if it's because of me listening to the audiobook or if I was distracted. But whenever there's something really important going on, I tune in really hard. And this probably just slipped slipped through. Um, I, di- I didn't pick it up, honestly. I I was very suspicious as soon as this happened. Because it's, it's like one paragraph later. The, the siblings tells Navani, fine, I'll tell you. The other third node is in the bottom of a well in this one place. And then they go talk about something else. And then all of a sudden she jumps in with, oh, they found it. And I was like, that was, that cannot be coincidence. That had to be something's going on here. So I, I was very suspicious. And then when the revelation came later that, ah, uh, yes, sure enough, Rabonial was listening to everything. It was like, ah, okay, that explains it. It also dawned on me on a re-listen this time around that she is listening in on the light theory that worked that is on the first half of the um, the episode here. So she, the sibling and Navani talk back and forth on um, some uh, some light theory, and so Raboniel's picking up on all that as well. She also is listening in on the mention of Relaine. She also also is listening in on the sibling say, I can see a, a regal in the tower. A lot. I didn't think about that. Going into part four, I'm afraid for the safety of both Relaine and Venley because of what the sibling has told that Navani they uh they can see. Shoot, that did not dawn on me just the 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 breadth of knowledge Raboniel has gained by this, assuming she's heard every word, which she says she has. Right. Yikes. All the Kaladin discussions, all of yeah, any reference to Venley, to Relaine. Oh boy. And it made me think that Kaladin has not given away his location um, to Navani, but he certainly has talked about his failing powers, talked about 
the the flight gauntlet um Rabonial knows about. I mean, it's not really a secret by the end of this episode, but um she knows all the inner workings of that that Fabriel. She knows how to shut it down. She knows about because Navani told Kaladin where to go to set the set up the gauntlet. Yep. So we might be in trouble. Especially since Navani now knows this. Kaladin does not know this. Correct. And so Navani might now be able to act on oh dear, Rabonio knows everything. Kaladin doesn't know that. So he may make some big mistakes here not knowing that Rabonio knows everything he knows or a lot of what he knows. Yeah. And I mean, he barely survives the episode as is. So are we ready for chapter 70? Any more, any more science talk before we go swimming? I, I think I we beat it to death. Yeah, I think, I think we thoroughly covered it. Sounds great. Okay. So Kaladin is suffering a yet another nightmare. I think we're on nightmare four or five now. Um, and David tries to wake him is unsuccessful. And David picks up the, I think he picks up the gauntlet and this and Kaladin's spear and starts running down the hallway um, to go, to go defend this node. And so Kaladin wakes up still, um, still and Kaladin have a quick little interaction. And then still says the sibling was trying to reach you and we got to go. Kaladin catches up with David and David speaks his first words of the entire series. What are they? He, he says life before death. He does. Which is part of the first ideal. It's not the whole thing. I don't think, I didn't get the impression that David is speaking the first oath in this scene, but he's speaking. I like that was, I was floored. Yes. Yeah. This, the, like we've seen a lot of like miraculously, like we've seen Lopin's arm grow back. Like we, we've effectively seen it all. But I mean, this was, this was different from the others because he's getting his voice back. Like he is, I, I've been under the assumption that he is mute, like me- medically mute. Like he cannot speak. Right. Um, and so the fact that he can speak shows that there is healing with that assumption. And so, um, so it's, it's almost like he's begun, like, like he's already begun. Um, he, He's also gone through a bit of a transformation in this part. He's gone from more of a symbol, kind of a, a, a part of Bridge 4, just to be there to show everybody is worth protecting or everybody is worth saving. He He's that soldier on the battlefield that nobody cared about that Kaladin saved anyway. And even when he's mute because of the trauma he's been through, he still can be a contributing member of Bridge 4. Like That's just kind of who David is, is he's there to kind of show that importance but not anymore now he's a contributing part of the team he has significantly helped Kaladin here and now he's ready to jump into battle he's ready to do what it takes to defend the tower so man he's he's come a long way yeah i i agree I, I am curious if this is like a Stormlight-related healing 
or if this is a more traditional related healing um, real rehabilitation type of thing or what if it's a life light related healing we know that david was in contact with the sibling well before kaladin was yeah so maybe it's that relationship perhaps that's contributing to this it's good good. i didn't think about that it's a good point I assume all lights are healing. Like I, I if life light does it in stormlight does it. I don't know. Maybe void light doesn't, but it seems like the base level of even if you're any radiant, you can heal yourself with your light. So that that was mainly a question of like, is it life light? Because we've seen stormlight heal. Can life light do the same thing? I guess has it happened with lift? Yeah, she's used it so. to heal. She got I crushed by a thunderclass okay. and was fine. Yeah, okay. I'll I'll say that it works then. <laughs> yeah. Kaladin grabs the gauntlet. And basically, I envisioned him as the, the atrium of the tower is this really long... I think of it as like a lobby of a really nice hotel where it, go, it goes from like the bottom floor pretty much you know, at least halfway up the tower, which the tower is huge. And so Kaladin's running down this hallway and he basically dives off of, off the balcony down into the atrium. And then uh, to control his fall, he activates his device midair. And so he does has to do like a handstand on his arm and then, and then let himself down with the device so that he can slow himself instead of like yank himself up as, as he's falling, whatever. Um, so the physics that Sanderson puts into this gauntlet is kind of fascinating, to be honest. He, he really does his research on pulling mechanics and what's the, what the limitations of this gauntlet are and what the limitations then on, on Kaladin during this fight are. So what'd you guys think of this fight? He fights the pursuer Leshwi and Raboniel within like, two pages so the the beating that Kaladin's body goes through in these six pages is is pretty crazy just the operation of that gauntlet that you're talking about is takes a toll on you like right. like you mentioned those those pulling and pushing forces the body's not really meant to to go through that at the end of your arm right like that that's going to rip you know things out of socket pretty fast if you're going to support your body weight and jerk yourself around by the end of your arm. That's, I, I think it's, it, it's shown us that Kaladin has to heal via stormlight multiple times after making these maneuvers. It's not natural. Yeah. And then on top of that, he has to do battle while trying to do this and fight these pretty powerful opponents in the pursuer and Leshwi. Leshwi even comments on it. Leshwi's fighting him. And she's like disappointed. She's like, "This is this is stupid. I don't even want to fight you because you're terrible. This is this is dumb." There is a, I want to say, comical part where he's fighting the the pursuer. The the pursuer is like grabbing onto him as he does, and trying to yank him down. 
and Kaladin initiates the device, but the Pursuer and Kaladin are like the exact same weight, maybe a little bit lighter than the, the weight in the in the shaft. So they're like... Going, our our like, listeners can't see your hand, but they're, yes. They're inching up like, you know, two inches per second. The Pursuer like looks around like, what, what the heck is happening? <laughs> and then it yeah. gives Kaladin a chance to punch him in the face and reactivate it. Yeah, you could put some like elevator music behind that, right? For a little yes. pause in the in the fight scene and a little comedic <laughs> relief. Yeah. I can see it now, you know. And then the gauntlet works better underwater. It's Sanderson takes the time to write that sentence in, which I actually really appreciate it because it it made me think, yeah, it would. You're right, because Kaladin's weight is suspended in water and so this gauntlet's going to be way more effective at pushing you a direction left or you know wherever you want to go while your weight is suspended i thought that was really cool to to include that detail i mean if you think about it a device like that basically exists in our world you can buy little handheld propelling devices that you just hold on to and it you know spins a propeller and pulls you through the water which is basically exactly what Kaladin has here so I didn't yeah. know that I wanted to yeah, buy you, one <laughs> you can buy these little yeah things I just pull you through the water that's so cool I'll never have to swim again I could just <laughs> let it do all the work for me you know so also a couple mentions of pressure can you guys help me understand the the design of this well I don't I don't understand. The the water is filling the entire well. Like it's not like a lower your bucket down a shaft to the pond well. It's a the water is all the way up this well and then he swims down and drops into a reservoir or swims down and then swims up to a reservoir. I don't know what's I don't know what's happening. Stand by. Standing. Should we talk about something else while you're doing that? It's about five seconds away. Okay. Here's my super scientific diagram that my light is going to destroy. There we go. It looks better now. Yeah. Okay. 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 So over here, uh huh. Here's your. No, oh, no, we're losing it. Come back. They're pulling your finger away. I think that may have messed it up. There we sort of go. I'll just yeah? freeze frame you on the on the when we could see it. Oh, there we go. Further away works. Here's yeah, the well. It's showing up in one part of the tower. Uh-huh. It's just a it's just a tunnel. It runs through the ground and it comes up through the ground. The water level is right at the top of that of that tunnel. As you go down into the tunnel, I apologize for our audio-only listeners. This probably isn't going to make any sense. If you go down into the well, you're basically just going through a submerged, flooded tunnel. But then you can travel over, you know, laterally a certain distance. So it's, it's probably going to be a couple hundred yards away. And then up into a reservoir. So this, think of this as like an underground lake. That water level is going to be similar 
in that reservoir as to the well. It's actually not going to be the same because you have hydraulic pressure that's actually pushing on this. The, the water level in the well, I think, is actually going to be a bit higher yeah. than, than what's in your, in your reservoir. But, but something similar-ish to the well level, you're just far enough away that he can come up through the water and into a cavity of space above that because there's this larger cavity, which is probably at a higher elevation, actually, than that well was where he entered into the, the water. Okay. Does that help you? It does. And then also to stormlightify this, there's a a door or a window that Kaladin walks out into the storm uh that they could actually just open and refill the reservoir during the high storm. Um so okay, I I, I understand. The the pressure though, you're absolutely right. It talks about how he's going down, down, down into the the water in his ears are starting to to hurt because of the the pressure that's starting to to crush him. I, I thought of the feeling you get when you're like flying an airplane, right? And you're you, the airplane starts to descend, and you start to feel that pressure in your in your ears. I I, I think that's what Calvin is probably feeling. I've never gone like scuba diving, so I, I don't really know if that's the same feeling underwater. But that's what I thought of. Apparently, it is. I know whenever really really deep divers go crazy far down and come up i know you have to like hum because of pressure if like you don't like i know when if you're coming up at a certain rate from a certain depth if you don't hum you're i think it's like your lungs could like collapse it's it's pretty severe like wow but it's like maintaining the pressure or something a lot of stuff i don't fully understand yeah, but what, i know that's a thing there's a name for that hold on the the bends no that, idea is that what it's called when you're anyway Somebody who knows way more about music theory and uh, <laughs> water pressure is in the comments below. Like, blah 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 blah. blah. Well, actually, and, and please do. Don't. I'm not discouraging you from from explaining it to us. Please do. Or or hop in our Discord and come chat about it because I I would love to learn more. I agree. And in our story here, Kaladin could just power through all of this with stormlight, right? Right. It's just like Shalon can drink as much alcohol as she wants because she can just stormlight. But Kaladin can't breathe in his stormlight because he's underwater and he can't breathe in. Yeah. And this caught me off guard actually a little bit because I've started to think about that breathing in stormlight almost metaphorically. Right. As in it's something that they just do. Breathing in is just the the way they explain it. But I... I think I've I've made that assumption incorrectly. No, he literally has to breathe yeah. to get the stormlight in. And when he's underwater, this is a problem. And he, he has kind of a funny moment of he's running out of oxygen. He's like, oh, crap. I've never thought about how to do this before underwater. And so, yeah, interesting question. How do you take in stormlight underwater? Apparently, you can't. Yeah. Or at least Kaladin doesn't know how. Kaladin jumps or not jumps finds himself in the reservoir gets up and then the singers come running down the, the hallway uh, into the reservoir here to to capture him and his only point of escape is jumping out the window um, out into the high storm and that's where we leave him uh, going into 71 this is one of my favorite chapters in rhythm of four by the way um 71 
because of uh, Dalinar and what he can do here. Dalinar is setting up to spy on Urethiru uh, via the High Storm. And he doesn't really even know that he can what he's going to see. He's never done this before in, in real time. So he joins the Stormfather in the High Storm and he's basically sailing across Roshar with the Stormfather. Where have we seen this before? Kaladin's done this before. We had the we had that one video where I I tried to to map out where Kaladin was going across Roshar and like circled some areas on the map of oh he's seeing this and oh he's seeing this which uh, that's one of the sections of Way of Kings that I remember very clearly was was that chapter that was Way of Kings right way back then it was and Kaladin sees Zeth assassinating a king during the High Storm Um, and so. It's one of those things where you kind of just dismiss it as like this is some weird like fantasy world scene that I, I don't really care about. But we we now know that Kaladin was seeing all that stuff in real time and Stormfather was just, you know, playing a prank on Kaladin, I, I guess, at the time. Was Kaladin... I think so. Kaladin wasn't injured from the High Storm at the time, was he? Was that when he was passed out or was that was that a different time i don't remember i don't remember either anyway dalinar is riding with the Stormfather, and the Stormfather crushes these poor little guys who are on like picking berries or whatever he crushes them with a boulder and dalinar says why are you not why are you not sparing them you you have the ability to save their lives. Why are you not doing that? And what is, the, the Stormfather says, I, I'm a storm. I don't I do not do that. What does Dalinar say? His response is basically along the lines of, you keep using that as your excuse. You need to stop doing that and be better. Like, do, do better and stop doing that stuff because it's not nice. Yeah, he calls him a coward. And the the Stormfather is claiming, "Yeah, I'm just a storm. I don't I don't care." And Dalinar says, "No, I I'm going to require you to care. You are better than that, and I'm going to require more of you. I don't care what honor sets you up as. You have the ability to save those people. You have the responsibility to save those people." Another reason why Dalinar is the best. I think I missed that part when I was reading through this because that's really cool and I I absolutely love that. I wasn't quite sure what to think about it. I like the I like the idea. I don't like I like the idea of challenging excuses and norms and saying you think this is what you do just because it's it's the way things are. Well, sometimes sometimes change is important and sometimes you should change to do better. But at the same time, like I still think of the Stormfather as half force of nature and half spren like being. And so the the fact of you know Dalinar like screaming up at a storm of like, how dare you kill yes. people? Like, like, dude, that's just a it's just a fortune force of nature, man. It it's gonna do what it's what it's gonna do. So I, I don't know. Yeah. And then the real meat of this chapter. 
Dalinar, they show up at Urethiru, Dalinar flies through it real quick and doesn't see anything. Like, he flies through a hallway, it's dark, and then he gets ripped out the other side, and he's like, I didn't, I didn't see anything. And then he says, we have to go back. We, ha- we have to go, I have to go, fi- I have to go find out what's happening. And Stormfather's like, no, keep moving forward, momentum. And then Dalinar says, no, I hate momentum, momentum sucks. Momentum is what my excuse was to do all those terrible things back then. And then he swims upstream against the high storm, gets all the way back to Urethiru, feels a capital C connection to Kaladin, finds him on the side of the tower, and they have their their exchange. Um, did one of you guys want to want to take it? I did not know it had a capital C. There, there's another capital letter we need to go back and and talk about too in a minute, but. This scene here, where first they they talk, Dalinar do, do read speaks. It? I don't actually have it. He 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 shocks Kaladin just by by saying his name, Kaladin. Which I'm actually envisioning this from from Kaladin's perspective it's cool from dalinar's it'd be even cooler from kaladin's perspective he's hanging on to the outside of the tower he's almost dead his body has been through the ringer in the last hour and he's about to just give up and die and then all of a sudden dalinar's voice just speaks to him out of the storm it, it even says you know right here kaladin shifted turning his head i, I interpret that as like a, a huge like what the heck and, and dalinar just asks him what has happened and and Kaladin responds with Singer invasion, Navani captured, the tower on lockdown, other radiants are all unconscious. I will find help. Dalinar responds, life before death. And Kaladin tries to respond, but then he falls, like he passes out in that moment. And Dalinar reaches out with the winds of the storm, and basically gives Kaladin a big push, a big shove upward catches him essentially and deposits him up onto the balcony that he was, was hanging off of, you know, saving his life in that moment. You, I mentioned this at the very beginning with my, my word. I kind of read past this at first. Not, not that I missed it. It's just, you, you're kind of in the moment like, whoa, that was cool. And you move on and then you come back. And I, I think it's when I came back, that's when I started to imagine this from Kaladin's perspective. Like what a moment this is and yeah. how, how fortunate, I guess, that Dalinar just happened to be riding along in the storm in this moment to be there at this precise moment to save Kaladin's life and to to do what he does to force the Stormfather to, to stop and allow him to take action in this moment. It this is this is really cool. It's it's almost it's very understated. The story doesn't really dwell here. It doesn't really explain it all. But but it it's a powerful moment. I think. Yeah. The the implications of Bondsmith powers to be able to manipulate physical presence and audible presence across time and not across time across space is really really important here. I think Dalinar just 
well, and he towards the second half of this chapter, he's like, I really need to figure out what I can do because what I just did, that was incredible. Um, the implications here are crazy that you can manipulate physical presence and audible presence across, uh, why do I keep saying time across physical space is really, really cool and really important for us understanding what bondsmiths can do. And it seems to revolve around this capital C connection. Yep. This ability or this phenomenon or whatever it is that is embodied in that word connection that Dalinar is able to, to utilize somehow. Do you, do you remember the, the interlude between Moash and Odium and Odium is saying we're going, or Odium is saying we're going to manipulate Kaladin via you and your connection, capital C connection to him via these nightmares you guys you guys tracking with me mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. so presumably the more time you spend with someone the more time that they are in your life the stronger connection you have to them and the more sway you can have over them in the cognitive realm therefore your your stormlight powers your bondsmith powers your Odium powers, whatever. the The stronger connection, the more the more sway you have over them. I think the more we read, uh, I'm like, yeah, I I think I understand bondsmiths, and then I realize I know nothing. Like if they, <laughs> it seems like they could they could hypothetically do anything, but they just don't know how or or what. So I'm, I would love for I, I'm really hoping that as time goes on. In this book and the next book, that we will really get to see, or at least learn of the like the true power that a bondsmith can hold, and like the impact that a bondsmith can make. Because it seems like almost like I understand there are rules, but it feels like right now that there are no rules, and that like you could do anything. You could go across the world with your connection to someone, and do all these crazy things around them. Like there's so much stuff. And also understanding that Bondsmith has some form of unique interaction with each of the other Knights Radiant Orders, which we haven't really gotten to see yet. But knowing that that is a thing and that we hopefully will get to see that at some point or learn about it gets me really excited. And I want to know what they are. I want to know what they are. And so uh, I'm very intrigued to learn more about our Bondsmiths. Or like the actual bondsmith powers. Uh, we got a little teaser at the end of this chapter that we might be headed that direction. At the end of the chapter, Dalinar and the Stormfather are talking back and forth of like, "What did I just do? I I have no idea what you just did. Don't don't ask me." And if Dalinar, Dalinar says, "Man, if there only there was someone on Roshar that could know what I could do," and then both of them are like, "Wait, wait a minute." Hold up. <laughs> there is someone on Roshar that can know that knows what you can do. And who is it? A herald. Is it Ishar? Ishar. The god priest, the the ruler of Tukar, who has a an army that is fighting the um the Voidbringers. 
the singers, the listeners. And Dalinar says, goes to Ash, actually, um, and Shalash, and says, I need to go, I need to go find him and help, help and convince him to teach me and I can save your Thiru. That's, that's how we end this chapter on. Okay, so Ishar is the another bondsmith. Correct. That they come up with. Okay. Yeah. The, so- the the break in the the story there threw me. So Paul, of course, you wouldn't have seen this in the the audiobook. The there's a a bit of a of a break in paragraphs with with a space. When they have the revelation of there's another bondsmith, like it ends and then you shift to that scene where he goes and talks to shalash about ishar so because of that i didn't actually connect those two together so i'm over here racking my brains like another bondsmith who could it be is it renarin is it relaying like what is going on it i i think i just got a little too caught up in the moment it's just ishar it's who ishar. we already knew about that they're talking mm-hmm. they're they're just realizing that there's someone else they can go to about this my big question is, what is Ishar bonded to? Oh. Because we know that Dalinar is... So I'm guessing there are more options than we thought. So we know Dalinar is bonded to the Stormfather. Therefore, he's a bondsmith. We know that the sibling is like between cultivation and honor, right? Yes. So... I guess either he's bonded the like Night Watcher or some other of these combination things. Let so BD, I guess. Don't but, we just spell it out for you here? Like tell me who it is? No, no, no. Um tell you the rules here. So Oh yes. This is fine. So your classic three bondsmiths that, that you've been told, that is in relation to the Knights Radiant. The Knights Radiant at any given point, we'll have three bondsmiths. Now, I would argue that the potential uh, on the um, on Roshar is going to be more than that because there's a couple exceptions here. So there's the Stormfather, the Sibling, and the Night Watcher. Those are the three uh, bondsmith uh, capabilities for the Knight's Radiant. Four is going to be Ashar, just in by himself, because he had the powers before the Knights Radiant existed. The Knights Radiant were founded based on the Herald's powers. So he's kind of outside. He doesn't need to bond okay. a Spren to get his powers. He just has them already. I see. What I thought about this was, and I could be totally wrong, in my head, Nail has a Spren. He I, I does, be... but that's it... that's what made me think about it. I was like, if he has a spread, in, then don't they all? In this chapter, though, Shalash says Nail is the only one that joined his order of Knights Radiant, so none of the rest oh, okay. of them have a spread. They just have powers without the spread. Hence, the honor blades. The on the blade itself gives them the power. Now, whether that's a spread or not, that's a different question, mm-hmm. and. Sanderson's actually been asked that what do honor blades look like on Shadesmar and he's raffled it. Um, so interpret that how you will. Oh, wow. Um, but yes, the, the heralds get their powers from the blade itself. 
not from a sprint. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. That makes total sense. And that, that makes way more sense in my head because I was trying to figure out, like, what the heck have we been missing? Like, is he, and, like, Odium? Like, I know Odium doesn't have one, but, like, is, is am I missing something? So that makes way more sense. Yeah. It, you guys confused all of our... Uh, I don't know if you guys clicked on each other's live reactions in that channel, but you guys said the same thing. You guys both said, another Bondsmith? And then all of, all of our patrons were like, it's a char. Why are they all? Why are they confused? So you guys can you guys confused our patrons. This, this oh. is why I love having this podcast and you guys to talk to because in that moment I was confused, but a ten second conversation with with you guys cleared things up, and now I'm back on the right page. So yes, now I'm exactly, with exactly. I do want to. I guess before we leave that, I'm super excited to meet another Herald. I get really excited whenever they start to come into the picture, which is, is probably just a, an artifact of when we first started reading this series, right? Heralds were just epic mythological figures. And so that's just kind of implanted in your brain of like, Whoa, a Herald. So for, for Dalinar to go after, go searching after another one and for him to potentially enter the story. I'm very excited about that. But then before we wrap up for this chapter, I do want to go back to, the epigraph actually unless there's anything else you guys want to talk about yeah nope that's fine um can we do 72 real quick and then talk about epigraphs after that i mean 72 yeah. is just navani is utterly defeated and we get the revelation that rabonia was listening in on the sibling the whole time so the and i think the title of the chapter is outclassed or something out Outmatched is the title of the the chapter, and it's just Navani is completely humiliated and upset and defeated. Raboniel has outmatched her, and then tells her to get back to work. By the way, is, is Navani going to keep working with Raboniel after this? Probably not. Are we going to hear from the sibling after this? We have one node left. The sibling cannot talk to Navani without being listened in on. Are we going to hear from the sibling after this? I think so. I think the sibling is going to finally give way um, in some capacity. You think Raboniel is going to succeed and fully flip the tower? Is that what you meant? Is that what you meant by good give way? I'm on the fence. Like, I I don't know what the outcome will be, but we will most definitely hear from the sibling. I think the sibling may be pushed to, like, kind of threat or life and death kind of thing, or f- being flipped, like, bond relaying. Okay. Um, but I don't... Yeah, th- that's where my mind was. That was my, like, initial prediction. But honestly... I could see I could see the tower being completely flipped and it just being a defeat there. I really could. Do, does Odium gain a bondsmith at that point? Um Or does the sibling die? I guess it depends that de- I feel like that's a question that I don't know how to answer in like with the ta- like the sibling being flipped, does that mean Odium has control over it to like force it to bond right someone 
If so, then yes. If not, then no. Okay. The sibling has referenced Rabonial as corruption before, Mm -hmm. I think. Yep. So maybe it is a turning the sibling into a unmade version of essentially yeah a bond smith that reminds me sorry we finish your thought and then we can talk about unmade for a second well i was just gonna say like it could make it like a corrupted bond smith spread like we've seen this right. corrupted spread so that'd be crazy i hope that doesn't happen but it might i'd be intrigued so for that and reason alone i wouldn't mind seeing it uh, flipping the sibling into an unmade that has sparked a memory of a theory that is that I will share with you. the The theory is all of the unmade are a spren of a dawn city, and like it's the spren of Kolinar, it's the spren of Thalen city, it's the spren of the shattered plains. Like any anywhere there is an Oathgate, anywhere there's a dawn city, it has a spren. And it's been corrupted, um, and it has been, been turned into an unmade. Um, and the sibling is the last one standing. That's the, and that's why Rabonial's here. That's the, that's the theory. That's an interesting one. That definitely puts a different sort of frame or or flavor on the discussion about unmade. I think. I need to understand more about the origins of the unmade. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. To to dive into that. Like when did they, when did they enter the picture? Are they truly, you know, we associate them directly with odium. Yeah. At least I am at this point. I am as well. But diving more into that of like, what are their origins exactly? Did odium create them? Did odium corrupt them from, yeah, more of a pure spread of the cities sort of a thing, or did they come with Odium from wherever Odium came from? That those are all questions or answers I think we'd need to to you know try and verify that theory. But I like that one. That's that's a good one. I think the only clue we have for that right now is what what's her face tells Shalon in Oathbringer that she tells her that or Shalon accuses her of being of Odium. And she says, no, I was made and then I was unmade by yeah. Odium. So yeah. that's, I guess that's the only clue of origin we have. Okay, we can talk about your uh, your epigraph. Do you want me to read them? Uh, yeah, that that would be good, actually, because these are from the Rhythm of War. And I was hoping... I was really hoping we get something definitive here at the end that would tell us a little more context about what is the rhythm of war that we're apparently getting close from. And we don't really get an answer. I have a theory that I think we're going to stick with, but I was hoping for more. Maybe you should read them. So this is 69 through 72 epigraphs. I leave you now to your own company. Opposites. Opposites of sound. Opposite Sound has no opposite. It's merely overlapped vibration. The same sound, but sound has meaning. This sound does, at least. These sounds. The voices of gods. Voices of lights. Voice of lights. If I speak for the lights, then I must express their desires. If light is investiture, and all investiture is deity, and deity has intent, then light 
must have intent. Intent matters. Intent is king. You cannot do what I attempt by accident. You must mean it. This seems a much greater law than we've ever before understood. Every time I said intent uh, there, Paul, I was capitalized. And that was the other word that I was that I was mentioning. We have we have connection and associated with our bondsmith that's capitalized. Now we have another word here, intent. And I read this, and I was actually second guessing myself because I was wondering: is this the first time we've been introduced to this word, or did we see this before? I I honestly can't remember, but I think this is the first time we're we're seeing it. Intent. I don't know if I know the answer to that um but i will not i I will raffle you because i don't remember if we get explanation of this before the end of the book if we get to the end of the book and this is still unanswered i will answer it i am i'm definitely intrigued by it this is the first time it's caught my eye it may have slipped past us a few times sanderson's apparently very good at that the number of times people have chimed in in the, the Discord and been like, well, actually, back in, in Way of Kings chapter 11, you were you were told this. And I go back and flip to it and it's like, oh, my gosh, we absolutely were. So I'm sure this was probably mentioned at some point before and we, we completely missed it. But this was the first time my attention was brought to it. So now I'm, now I'm intrigued in, into digging into what does intent mean and why is it important to the lights that we've been studying. Yeah. That was it. That was all I wanted to, to visit there. Anything else before we close the episode and go into part four? My Just only one thing, thing is is um, how I'm... We, we have gotten now so many capitalized words mm-hmm. that I, I'm really struggling to think of how, how it's all going to piece together. I feel like when we started... Things were on a small scale, right? And then as we got more like into words of radiance, I'd say our scope grew, but it was all this ambiguous, ooh, how is this going to connect? How is this going to connect? And then I feel like we kind of zoomed in. We got some answers or some kind of resolution on some things in like Oathbringer, I would say. Um, and now I feel like we're being given a lot of stuff that I'm like, what? How, <laughs> how is intent going to work into this? How is... um the ghost blood's going to work into this. How is, I forgot there, Mraze, oh, we've learned so much about him, and I don't know how he's going to really work into all this. I don't know how intent, I don't know how connection's going to work into this. Our bond, there's so much stuff that I'm like, how, I feel like we have our hands full. What? Where is this going to go? We. <laughs> and so, I'm really intrigued, because I trust that Brandon has a plan right now for these things, so I'm really excited to see where it goes has moved me from being like there's no way we can do all of this to i i trust he will he'll he'll bring this stuff back or we'll see some implications of it at some point so i'm i'm just excited to see it now me too i i do got to chime in real fast before we we end the episode we are at the end of a part we're at the end of part 3 here so I, I did do a little bit of looking back to try and piece together a theme for this part or you know something I could try and pull from this section that I thought was 
what the story was trying to tell us or kind of what I took away from it. And I'll, I'll go fast because I know we're going quite long with this, this chapter, too much, too much science talk at the, the beginning. <laughs> the, the, the theme though, the theme for part three of, of Rhythm of War that I came to was discovery. And I have to go back actually to some of the early chapters, some of the first like four chapters of this part. W- was that the very first flashbacks we got? Was at the beginning of this part? Yes. It was those flashbacks where we really started to dive into this idea of discovery with both Venley and Eshenai. Discovery was a motive that drove both of them in the past. Eshenai is this explorer. She's just off to try and discover new lands and new cultures, and she comes across humans, and she's just curious. She wants to learn. She wants to discover. Venley is also driven by discovery, just in a different way. She's driven by this more scholarly discovery of i want to learn about achieving the power of the past or or maybe even in just more naive ways of i just want to i want to learn about what our people are capable of you know that that type of of motive and drive to to learn more is really key to both of them both of those sisters and then that theme of discovery translates directly to navani's journey throughout this part she's been spending this entire part the last 300 pages trying to discover what she can about light about investiture and we've learned she's learned a bunch and we've learned a bunch i think we've gotten a lot of answers in a lot of sections where they've sat down and actually dissected okay what is going on here what are the in-world physics that are happening so we've had lots of fun sciencey type discussions about that discovery Dalinar has been discovering a little bit, maybe not quite nearly as much, but like we just talked about in this episode, he's starting to discover a little bit about maybe what he's capable of, which we've gotten hints at maybe that's quite a bit more than we than we thought he was capable of in the beginning. So he he definitely ties into that as well. The only part that I couldn't quite tie into discovery, which I actually feel bad about, is Kaladin. Mm. I don't know that Kaladin was necessarily going on a, a an arc of discovery in this part, which... I don't want to leave him out because Kaladin was actually a fairly big spotlight in this part where he wasn't before. We've had the spotlight off of Kaladin for quite a while and he actually came to the forefront in this chapter and we really kind of walked in his shoes for, for quite a bit. I don't know that he was necessarily discovering as much as really just kind of carrying the banner at the, the front lines sort of role. Yeah. So I'm doing a disservice to Kaladin with Discovery but that was the best I could come up with. Awesome. All right, into part four of Rhythm of War. Thanks for joining me so far, and we can continue reading our interludes and 73 and 74 next week. Until next time. Sayonara. Sayonara.